John chapter 1. John chapter 1 in your Bibles. I came here hoping to be an encouragement to you, but I have to confess you have been such an encouragement to me, and I'm grateful. I am going to go back home encouraged, and I thank you for that. I will be 62 in March, um, and so I've been doing, uh, in the, I've been in the ministry for uh, 21 years almost. I'm very grateful for that. But I'm so grateful that you get to uh, be where you are at the age where you are. My body is starting to break down a little bit. I had to have a knee replaced. Uh, so when they went to put in the new knee, <clears throat> I asked them to put a hydraulic boost in it so I could start dunking a basketball again. But they just didn't listen to me about that. And I shared with you the story of my heart. Uh, I'm going to have to get a new prescription on my glasses because my eyes are getting weaker. Um, I'm, I, you know, my mind, I can't remember as much as I used to. They make, make uh, a supplement for that, uh, ginkgo biloba, but the problem is I forget it. <laughs> and so I don't take it. Um, I, so I flew helicopters for a long time. I would always double ear protect. I'd have the foam earplugs that I'd put in my ears and then we had the helmet that had the cups on it. It was really cool. I flew attack helicopters for a while. And with the attack helicopters, uh, there was a, a uh, sight system that came through our helmet. And so wherever we would look, that's wherever the machine gun would point. And I had to tell you, it was pretty intimidating. You know, and I, I enjoyed that. But um, so... <laughs> so... Um, so I would do all that hearing protection, but I still have tinnitus so bad. It's so bad. And, um, you know, that's interesting. They've given me some hearing aids, which I don't wear as much as I should. Uh, the ringing is just un un unbelievable. Sometimes it's unbearable. And they say that actually uh, the rate of suicide is higher with um, people who struggle really bad with tinnitus. And I think that's interesting. But they say it also contributes to dementia. And the other thing I read was it really gives you a sense of apathy. And I read that and I thought, who cares? <laughs> so I'm saying all that to say, take advantage of your youth. Man, memorize the whole Bible. Read, 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 read. I shared when um, uh, William and Sam came down uh, last summer, uh, we gave them a book a week. They had to read a book a week while they were down. They lived with my wife and me, and it was wonderful. Uh, we loved it. They represented you well, I want to say. And uh, it was an honor to have them. I, I've asked um, Brother Swanson if the Lord will allow if we could do that again this year. And I just appreciated having the the college students down and our church benefited from it. But I just, I had them read, you know, and, and I would encourage you to take advantage of that. I'm grateful that I love to read and we have tried to instill a love for reading in our children and all of, all of our adult children love to read. And so you, I want to encourage you with that. Just grasp all you can, especially, especially while you're young. Grasp all that you can and take advantage of every minute. But thank you. Thank you for being an encouragement to me. John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to, for me, I, I, I've been trying to go somewhere. And so we're going to try to take this to 
from my perspective, I believe the Lord would have me uh, bring you to this natural progression. And we're going to talk about uh, mentoring to grow. Mentoring to grow. Look, and, and you'll understand what I mean. Look at John 1. Skip down to verse number 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, I love this phrase, watch this, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, and here's the great phrase, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Father, would you help us? You know, Lord, we, we've talked about how we are grateful for the work that you're doing in our hearts. But Lord, we also, I believe we understand the fact that it can't stop there. Lord, would you help us to take that work that you're doing in our hearts and pass that along to somebody else? Use that to be a, an encouragement and a help and a challenge to our brothers and our sisters, even to the lost. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand that's your plan. Lord, we know the work you want to do, and we know you're not the problem. God, would you help us not to be the problem? I pray that you'd bless us now. Uh, open our hearts, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, don't lose your place here, but go over to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Uh, I, when I read this passage... You know, you know, there are passages you read in your Bible and it just has an impact on you. Do you know what I mean when I say that? So this is one of those passages for me. Uh, I call 2 Timothy the last words of a dying man. You know, when you think about uh, the, the last words of the dying man, of course, I read somewhere like Tyrson. Tyrson's last words were, who greased the grapevine? You know, so, so the last words of a dying man have some significance to them. But this, in Paul's case, this is the last words of a dying man. Look what he says in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Skip down to verse number 10. Now he's talking to Timothy. Don't forget, he's not the one who led Timothy uh, to faith in Christ. Don't forget that. Uh, we, our understanding from the word of God is it was Timothy's mother and his grandmother that were the influence in his life that saw him to be saved. But Paul was the spiritual influence in his life. Are you with me? I had a youth director in high school who was a significant spiritual influence. I shared that with you. He's the one who challenged me to read my Bible, that challenged me to carry my Bible, challenged me to prayer to pray in public, all things I honestly, I didn't know. Nobody had talked to me about that before. And I'm not blaming anybody. It's my responsibility, but I just didn't know. And uh, uh, Pastor Lanning was such an influence in my life for which I am eternally grateful. So much so that, you know, it was shortly after that, he moved to Arizona and we lost contact. And that was in 1975. And we lost contact. And 26 years later, when God called me into the ministry, I was getting ready for my very first Sunday. I hunted him down and I called him. And I just said, I just want you to know, I'm getting ready to start a church, Lord willing, this Sunday. And I just want to thank you for the influence that you've had in my life. And your influence has made a big, big, big difference in my life. 
Well, in this case, Timothy had Paul. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in verse number 10 of chapter number 3 of 2 Timothy. He says, but thou, he's talking to Timothy, hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now, here's where I'm going with this. And here's what I want you to understand. You're here at Bible College. When you leave here, what are you going to leave behind? Can I change that? When you leave here, who are you going to leave behind? Is there someone that you, even right now, where you are, are investing in? Like Paul invested in Timothy? So that there will come a day where they will step into the gap that you have left as you've gone on your journey. By God's grace, and I'm almost afraid to share this with you because I don't want you to take it the wrong way. God has been very good to me in the fruit he has allowed me to see. And God gets all the glory for that. I was in a church in Akron, Ohio, and the Lord allowed me to invest in people there who were faithfully serving the Lord even today. And in Cleveland, Ohio, I had an air traffic controller. And the way it works for air traffic control, if you're working heavy traffic, it's very stressful. I tell people it's 95% sheer boredom followed by 5% sheer terror. And the heart rate and the blood pressure, they start getting ramped up pretty good. So what they would do is they would have us work the boards, work traffic for 45 minutes. And then someone would come and take our place and we'd go take a break for half an hour. Now, that may seem ridiculous to you, but I just want to confess, sometimes it would take a half hour for my blood pressure to come down after working that traffic. The worst times would be Thursday nights during summer. Thursday nights were the high traffic night, and summer's when all the thunderstorms are out. I mean, some guys are driving to work, looking out the window, drinking a bottle of Pepto-Bismol as they're coming into work, because they know what's waiting for them around the corner. And so it gets very, very stressful. You don't, planes don't fly through thunderstorms. Now, you may feel like planes fly through thunderstorms, but I promise you, they don't fly through thunderstorms. And so in a plane, and that was one, one of the things that was interesting as an air traffic controller, you're, you're sitting there in your radar, radar scope, and it would show precipitation, but it wouldn't show buildups. And the truth of the matter is, precipitations are after the fact. The problem's over after it's raining. It's leading up to that where you're having the problems. And so pilots would tell you, hey, I've got a buildup right here. I need to deviate right. And your answer was deviate right, of course, is approved. Maintain flight level 350 or whatever, you know, the altitude you'd get assigned to them. And so now here's their route of flight. Here's this guy's route of flight. Here's this guy's route of flight. Only they're not flying their route of flight. Remember I told you all those information strips we had that had all of their data on there? That went out the window. So now all you've got to separate these planes are altitude. So you're making sure all these planes are maintaining a different altitude, and that's not the problem. The problem is when all of those planes are coming into Atlanta or leaving Atlanta or coming into Chicago or leaving Chicago at the same time. 
So you've got, basically, you've got four departure corridors and you've got four arrival corridors. So here comes the planes coming in the arrival corridors. About the time the planes are going out the departure corridors, only the problem is there's, there's a thunderstorm right over here and now it's not an arrival corridor anymore. He's deviating off the course and he's coming nose to nose with the guys that are coming out of the airport. So this guy's climbing while this guy's descending and they're both deviating and you're trying to keep them separated and your blood pressure, you can just feel it. I loved it. <laughs> So we would have to, you know, after we'd come off the boards and we'd go for a walk just to try to slow things down. And it was, uh, you know, it was interesting. So one day I'm out walking and I'm talking to a guy and his name's Rick. And, you know, I was a military guy. So where are you from? And he told me, you know, he's from Dover, Newfield, Philadelphia, Ohio, which actually is the largest concentration of Amish in the country. And he was raised in church. But he wasn't living for the Lord. And we started talking. And I said, hey, Rick, why don't you and your wife come on over to the house? Come have dinner with my family. So they did. Next thing you know, they start coming to the church. Next thing you know, Rick gets right with God. Next thing you know, Rick gets baptized. Next thing you know, Rick and his family, they're living for the Lord. They are all in. Next thing you know, Rick and I are serving the Lord together as deacons in the local church. God has just been so good to me. I left Ohio, went to Oklahoma. I was in Oklahoma for six years as a layman. And God, in his mercy, allowed me to see people saved there, discipled, and some of those people are in the ministry today. Then God called me to preach, and we went to Hopkinsville, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And, man, I was all in by this time. This is what I'm doing, you know, every day, all day, and I'm loving it. And the Lord's allowing us to see so many people saved. I could tell you story after story after story after story after story. Let me tell you just one and I'm going to cry. There was this Henri Cuss by the name of Bud Hayes. He was, he continues to be an Henri. But Bud wouldn't have anything to do with church. He thought all preachers were crooks. And so he wouldn't have anything to do with church and, and, uh, but his daughter and son-in-law came to our church and his daughter could sing. And I noticed something. Every time his daughter sang, he'd come to church. So guess whose daughter started singing almost every week at our church? <laughs> and there's Bud. Well, we had an evangelist come in one week and Bud's there sitting in the back. His daughter had sung. And he's sitting in the back, and I promise you, man, God, I was, I had covenanted to pray for Bud Hayes to get saved. His wife was a sweet, gracious lady who loved the Lord. They got married as young teenagers. This is Kentucky. And um, uh, I, I, we had, I have a woman, woman in my church. She is 86 years old, been married 72 years. You do the math. And so Bud's there in church. And the preacher preached, and I'm sitting on the front row, and he, the preacher gave the invitation, and he said, you know, who needs to be saved today? If you know you need to be saved, let me pray for you. And he said, yes, sir, I see that hand. I knew. I knew. And, uh, you know, the preacher challenged him to come down the aisle, and so um, I stood up during the invitation, and I'm standing there, and the music starts. Bud Hayes steps out of his seat, grabs his dear, sweet uh, little wife by the arm, 
and drags her down the aisle. Your dad, you were there. You don't even know it. Ethan's dad was called up on active duty when I started that church. That was God's mercy to Ken Shaver. Because Ethan Coberly's dad and mom loved the Lord. And God sent them to me to be a help to me. And they were there that day. And here comes Bud, and he throws his wife on the ground, basically, grabs me by the arms, and pulls me down to my knees right there in the front. He said, Preacher, I can't take another step until I get saved. And he got saved. It was wonderful. No, 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 let me tell you this. I think I told you the story about his cousin, the one who had shot and killed two husbands. She, her first husband beat her, and he beat her, and he beat her, and he beat her, and he beat her. So she shot him, killed him. The police come to the house. She's all bloodied and bruised and broken, and they see her, and they see him, and they said this was obviously self-defense. She was never charged. As is so often the case, she married into that same type of situation again. And this time, not only did he beat her, he beat her kids. One of the kids went to get a pistol. She said, honey, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And she did. And she never went to jail. Fellas, she's looking for a husband. (laughs) You gotta be able to sleep with one eye open. (laughs) God gave me the great privilege of, of, of seeing her saved. It was so wonderful. I talked to her and she said, Preacher, God can't save me. And I said, Oh, Trish, you are exactly who God is looking for. And she got saved. Trish Trish just went to heaven here a couple of months ago. And I went down there and there were two preachers on the schedule. Me, I ran the service and Bud Hayes was the other speaker. Isn't that a blessing? And the Lord has allowed me to see that. There's, man, I've got, there's a third generation farmer in that church, by the way, named Ryan Turner. Ryan and his dear sweet wife showed up, they're the age of my children, showed up the church, and we were independent Baptists, you know what I mean? The crazy ones. And he, showed, he came from the first Christian church. Now there's a difference. Comes to our church and... Uh, you know, they said, man, we're excited about what's going on here. I said, well, I appreciate that. I said, God's been so good to us. He said, but we're looking for a church, but, you know, we just don't know. We're going to go real slow. I said, okay, well, let's get together. This week we can talk. I said, I'll be glad to answer any question you have. So I show up at the house, and they said, what will it take for us to join the church? I said, wait a minute. I thought you were going to go slow here. They said, no, this is, we believe this is where the Lord wants us. And they were both saved, but they, they'd been baptized as babies. And I'm a Baptist. We, we rebaptize. And so the Lord allowed me to baptize both of them. The Lord allowed me to disciple one-on-one, disciple both of them. I would go to their house. He'd come in from the fields. He uh, farmed about uh, 1,000 acres, come in from the fields, and we'd sit there and do tabletop discipleship right at their table. I'd been there for about six to eight weeks. And I said, Ryan, what I've been doing for you, now it's your job to do for somebody else. And he said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, the things I've been sharing with you, you need to share. I said, I know God has put somebody in your path. He said, you know, there's a special forces soldier who uh, I have coffee with on Mondays. He said, I can go talk to him. And he did. 
And that guy came to church. And he got saved. Special Forces soldier. And I baptized him. And Ryan, Ryan Turner, third generation farmer, started discipling that guy every Monday morning at 5.30 in the morning. I got to tell you, I don't think that list is too long of people who are discipling at 5.30 on Monday morning. I'm sleeping at 5.30 on Monday morning. And Ryan's now a deacon in that church. Ryan's teaching the adult Sunday school class. Are, are you listening to me? Where's your fruit? Do, do you remember? Uh, I, I actually thought the Lord was going to have me preach that out of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 3. When Paul starts talking about that, you, you want to know the proof of my apostleship? That's what Paul's saying. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. Paul says, you want to know the proof of my apostleship? Third row, third seat. There's the proof of my... I don't have letters, he said. I don't have all of these, these letters. He said, but there's my fruit right there. There's my proof of my apostleship right there. So, I, and I, I don't want to sound harsh, so uh, be gracious with me, okay? Where's your proof? Where's the proof of your calling in the ministry? Paul's talking to Timothy and he said, you know, thou hast fully known. Now, can I say something about that? If Timothy, if Timothy had fully known, this is so hard for me to stand right here. You wouldn't guess this. I'm a mover when I preach. But when, um, when, when Paul was investing in Timothy, he was reproducing himself. And I've got to tell you something. That doesn't happen doing this. There is no way Paul could have said, thou hast fully known, except he brought in close. You know, I, I, I shared with you when the interns came to our house, and, and everybody's different. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and I'm not being critical of the way other people do it. I'm just not. But I am personally convicted. I am convinced that the only way I'm going to influence people for the Lord is by bringing them close. That's why when Sam and Will came down, they lived at our house. I mean, we, you know, we just talked together. We went golfing together. Well, I went golfing. They came and... Uh, <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> we had fun on different levels. We had fun, right, Sam? <laughs> oh, I told you. I told you, Will, Will drove the green of a par four. It, actually, it was past the green. I, I told you I struggled. I couldn't remember if it was the windmill hole or the clown face hole. <laughs> no, 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 but, but he really did. He crushed the dog out of that golf ball. It was gone, man. It was a beautiful sight. But the only way I can influence people is by spending time with them. And Paul is the demonstration of that. But I've got to tell you, Paul was just following in the footsteps of the master. Go back to John chapter 1. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 38. 
John 1, 38, Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? This is amazing to me. He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. Now, I have to tell you, this speaks volumes to me, and I think it should speak volumes to you as well about the role you should play in influencing other people for Christ. Hey, can I ask you a question? Let me ask you a question. How many of you, be honest, and I know you will be, how many of you got saved the absolute first time you heard the salvation story? I mean, the first time you heard the salvation story, you got saved. One person. One person. Then why is it we think that we can go to a house and knock on a door and talk to somebody, and if they don't get saved, we're just going to go to another house and talk to that person. I don't want to be hypocritical. I, I believe, I believe that's hypocritical. The Lord Jesus took time with these guys. L let me tell you something, and you probably already know this. I, I, I'm sure you can tell I'm excited about discipleship. I get very excited about that. I get very excited about the, uh, like, like Pastor Gilmore says, the ministry of multiplication. I get excited about that. Uh, one of the largest segments in my personal library is on discipleship. And here's what's interesting. If that book is a serious book on discipleship, and what I mean by that is if it has a bibliography in it, you know, maybe it even has footnotes. But in every single one of those books, all of them, all of them refer to the same book. And that book was written 151 years ago by a guy named A.B. Bruce. Training of the Twelve. And in his book, A.B. Bruce talks about this principle of reproducing ourselves. And he very simply breaks it down into three phases. And it, it's, it's just biblical. In the first phase, we could call it the come and see phase. You, you, I told you the story about that Korean man at that restaurant. I have many questions. And so we take our time, like the Lord Jesus did. We sit down with them. It, it was a blessing. I'm so ashamed. I don't know the, remember the name of the couple. That's that me forgetting to take that ginkgo biloba. But, but that couple who saw their neighbor saved last night. Say again. Sickmans. Okay. And he told me. He said, yeah, this has been a long time in the making. I'm going to challenge you with something. Who is in your contact list that you have in there because you're investing in 
and they're lost and they need to be saved. I mean, if we were to take our phones out, there, there's lost people and they, they, they need to be saved. Yeah, preacher, I got them right here. Who's in your phone like that? I may have told you the story about uh, Rex Cobb. Some of you here know Brother Cobb from Baptist Bible Translators Institute. He was at our church for a missions conference. And uh, they stayed at a courtyard right next to an IHOP. And so we went over to the IHOP and, and uh, um, the, the waitress's name was Charity, Charity Gromowski. And we got done and she brought the bill and I stopped and I said, Charity, man, you've been so good to us. I, she waited on us before on me before and with somebody else. And I said, you've taken such good care of us. I said, Charity, I'm a Baptist preacher. What can I do to take care of you? And she said, I need to get saved. You ever had that happen to you? That's the first time, I'm 61 years old. That's the first time that's ever happened to me in my life. I mean, that's so rare that Brother Cobb looked at me and said, you set that up, didn't you? <laughs> and I said, well, Charity, I can help you with that. When, when do you, are you off? She said, I'm off on Friday. I said, meet me at the church on Friday. My secretary will be there. I said, meet, and I'll talk to you and show you how you can be saved. She goes, I need to get baptized. I said, I'll help you with that. And so she came to the church on Friday. And I said, you need to explain to me what just happened. And she said, well, it was on a Wednesday that I had breakfast with him. And she said, well, Tuesday, the day before, she said, I was getting ready for bed. And she said, and I said, God, would you please send a preacher across my path to show me how to be saved? I said, and he answered your prayer. And she came and she got saved. She got baptized. We discipled her. Her fiance got saved. He got baptized. We're discipling him right now. But it takes someone, it takes you investing in that person and you have to understand you know brother Ingram talked about waiting on God being patient we have to understand it's not instant gratification it doesn't happen like that come and see we must give them time we must give them the opportunity to ask questions hey can I tell you the rich thing about Bible Christianity as compared to Mormonism as compared to Jehovah's Witnesses the deeper you dig, the more truth you find. Let them ask the questions. Because the more questions they ask, the more they will understand. Look at John 2. Let me show you what I mean. Skip over to John 2. Look at verse 11. So here the disciples had been spending time with him. This, my understanding is this was about four and a half months. Four and a half months. And here the disciples had been spending time with him. And verse 11, it says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. Here it is. And his disciples believed on him. So now, here they went from the Lord Jesus saying, Come and see, to, to them saying, We have found the one we're looking for. And the Lord wants to use you to lead them down that path. But you have to understand something. That path does not stop with them saying yes to Jesus. That's really just the beginning of your journey together. 
Look over to the book of uh, uh, Mark, chapter number one. Matthew, Mark, chapter number one. Now, there's a change that takes place, too, in Mark, chapter number one, from, from it being come and see. Look, look, look what it says in verse number 16. Uh, Mark 1, 16, now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And they straightway forsook their nets and followed him. By the way, I, I need to stop and say something that's pretty funny. Funny is, is interesting. Funny is poor choice of words. That word forsook. You know, the, the Greek word behind that is the exact same word that's used when the Lord Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. It's the same word. When I forgive somebody in a biblical way, I'm going to drop that net and leave it there. And some of us, God bless us, we need to demonstrate forgiveness because some of us carry around that hurt or that wrong as a badge of honor. And the Lord, the Lord Jesus is saying, that's not forgiveness. Isn't that an interesting picture right there that he gives us? Look at verse number 19. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets, and straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. So now there's a change that takes place. Now we're not just learning about Jesus being the Messiah, come and see. We're learning about who he is, come and follow me. Now there is a call to commitment and it's my responsibility as a child of God to help this new convert navigate this path toward following Jesus. That's your job. That's my job. I appreciate the discipleship program this church has. We also have a discipleship program. We actually, on Wednesday nights, we have a lot of people who have been saved at our church. Um, I just, Lord allowed me just to lead a woman to Christ. Uh, she, she and her boyfriend, uh, he's in the church. They're my age, uh, very young. And they, um, they, uh, she came to me. She's Catholic. And she came to me with her boyfriend. And, and he said, hey, pastor, she, she'd like to ask you a question. I said, okay. And she said, I'd like to join this church. Now, remember, she's Catholic. And I said, I'd like for you to join the church. And that's a true statement. I said, let's sit down and talk about what that looks like. And so we did. We met at McAllister's. I have a McAllister's ministry so much so that anybody want to guess the number one thing I get from our church folks at Christmas? gift cards to McAllister's. And so we were sitting there at McAllister's and I just started talking to her about the things of God. We weren't in a hurry. She'd been in church for about four months. She'd been listening. She'd been eating it up. She came to me and said, I have questions. I said, the Bible can answer these questions. I can help you. And so her boyfriend and I are sitting there in McAllister's and talking to her. And I took her to John 3. And I told her the story of Nicodemus. And I said, now, now, Pat, I just need you to understand this principle. It doesn't matter how good you are. You are never good enough to have forgiveness of sin. Christ, you need the forgiveness that only Christ can offer. 
And then I took her to the next chapter. John chapter 4, which is the story of the woman at the well. Completely 180 degrees. Over here, it doesn't matter how good you are, you need to be saved. But with the woman at the well, it doesn't matter how bad you are, how much you've failed, how much you've done wrong. Christ is sufficient to save you. And I can't tell you how many times I've used that story. And I told Pat about that story. And I told, talk, took her to the part where the, Christ said, if you drink of this water uh, that I give you, you'll never thirst again. And I can't tell you how many times after I've read that, I have had people say to me, I want that water. And Pat did. She said that exact thing. And so right there in McAllister's, Pat trusted Christ as her Savior. And so now what we'll do, she's getting baptized at the end of the month, and now what we'll do is we'll get her plugged in to a woman in the church who will sit down with her one-on-one on Wednesday nights and go through a discipleship program on her. And it's a blessing. Why? Because it's an individual responsibility. I can't do it, obviously. But if I uh, connect her with a woman, I think that's done several things. Number one, it started her coming on Wednesday night. Number two, it's getting her grounded in the things of God. And number three, it has linked her up with somebody who will walk this new journey with her. And that's your responsibility. Paul said, you want the proof of my apostleship? Here it is. And young person, I'm asking you, where's the proof of your calling? It's your responsibility. And not just to see them saved, but it's our responsibility to help them in a deeper relationship with Christ. It's interesting, those men weren't successful by the world's definition. Them following Jesus, listen to me, was just an outgrowth of them being with him. One of the things I do that I think is really helpful. So I'll have uh, those disciplers. Or we have some curriculum that we use to help them on this journey. And, and you know, just basic, uh, you know, the, what, what, what do we do next kind of an understanding. And I said, listen, I said, the lessons and the material and the understanding is very important, foundationally speaking. I said, but it's bigger than that. I said, so you have an hour, an hour and 10 minutes on Wednesday nights. I said, so I want you to take 40 minutes and go through the lesson. Take your time, go through the lesson. And then after 40 minutes, I want you to shut the book. And then I want you to say, hey, so what questions do you have for me? I said, and then answer their questions. I said, that'll help you find out where they are. I said, but that will give them the comfort to start talking to you about deep things. I said, and you need to be willing to answer. I said, and number two. I said, let me say number two. I said, when you you get to that chapter on the Bible, I said, don't tell them how you read your Bible. Read the Bible with them. Say, hey, come on. Let me show you how I do my Bible reading. Let me show you how I spend my time with God. I said, when it comes to that uh, uh, chapter uh, on prayer, I said, don't, don't pray with, for them. I said, bring them alongside of you and show them how you pray. Are, are you with me? Reproduce yourself in them.
So, so there's a question I asked to our church back home. Who loves the Lord more as a result of your influence in their life? Now, I ask me that question the most. I promise you. Does my wife love the Lord more as a result of my influence in her life? To my children? To my grandchildren? I've got five brothers, one in heaven. Excuse me, four brothers, one's in heaven. So I've got three brothers left. Do my three brothers love the Lord more as a result of my influence in their life? Do the people that I pastor... Do the people that I, do the people you invest in, does your roommate love the Lord more? Is there someone who is seeking for truth? Are you helping them love the Lord more as a result of your influence? They'd spent time with Jesus. And Jesus, he showed them how. He emphasized scripture. And he modeled right behavior. Let me, let me, let me give you uh, one more. Go to, um, oh, let's go to Matthew chapter number nine. And I'll be done. Are you still with me? Say amen, would you? I know it's right after lunch. And I know, you know, we like to take naps after lunch. I know that. Although you never get a chance to. We still like to. Look at Matthew nine. Let's get down to verse number 37. Oh, we'll look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now here we go. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth labors into his harvest. Now, now, it's about following Christ for life. John said one of the greatest joys, matter of fact, he didn't know of a greater joy. He couldn't think of one. Than to see the work that the Lord was doing in people that he had invested in. That they were walking in truth. What a joy. What a joy to go to a funeral and watch that rascal Bud Hayes. And he stood up and he said, you know me. You know, he was a gambler. He was a gambling man. He said, you know me. He said, you know what a wicked man I was. He said, but all of you here know how Christ changed my life. And I'm sitting here, listen to Bud Hayes say that. Following Christ for life. Young people, you need to make a personal challenge. You need to make a personal commitment. You need to make it a daily prayer. The Lord Jesus says, come on, I I want you to see me. Come on, I want you to watch me. Come on, I want you to spend time with me. And then he says, 
Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And as though it wasn't specific enough, then he said, Go ye therefore into all the world. You need to pull that farmer aside and say, You know, all this stuff that I've been talking to you about, now it's your turn. You know, we're so afraid. We're so afraid to challenge people to live for the Lord. Don't be afraid of that. Somebody's challenged you and you're glad for that. And there are people out there who are waiting. They are just waiting for you. And if you will let him, the Lord wants to use you to make a difference in somebody's life. The question is, will you accept the challenge? Let's pray.